This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to the full ride on the Chase Thomas podcast. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and it is late on a Thursday, but that doesn't matter. We're still going to do this podcast because Tennessee just keeps breaking news every single day. It seems like um, I'm also joined, as I am every week, by that guy down there in Tequila, Georgia, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. Glad to be back at it. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of stuff going on. A lot of lot of stuff going on in sports. Um I figured we'd start with Wandale Robinson transferring to the University of Kentucky. That seemed like the biggest thing that happened in the last week. What do you think? Yeah, it's the biggest thing I can think of. I will or say that, uh, we make jokes or that about buzzer it. Beater, the Oh, the well, George we don't need to talk about that. Kentucky. No, no, we don't need to talk about it. Over that. the worst Kentucky team ever. It's like you're not going to beat this Kentucky team. I don't think you're ever going to beat them. And then Tennessee supposedly had a basketball game on Tuesday night, but no one saw it, so I don't think it actually happened. And then um, they supposedly had a women's game tonight against UConn that unfortunately was not broadcast and also did not happen. So um, kind of a boring week on the basketball front for Tennessee. Uh, but I did see your your Georgia Bulldogs beat Kentucky on a weird last-second shot. Yeah, it was a little sloppy, but uh, got the job done. Two <laughs> two points poor kentucky and i shouldn't even say poor kentucky like it's it's very much enjoyable seeing the basketball program struggle for the first time in forever um also just really weird uh i do i will say though about wandale robinson he's really good and he's from kentucky and he was like down to kentucky and i think he originally committed there and then he changed last minute uh to kind of get away from home and then he got homesick so he's back he is got some uh get some who's the randall cobb to him so I, I don't know. I think he'll actually be a really good fit there with uh, Liam Cohen running that offense now. So Kentucky might actually have an interesting offense next year. They need a quarterback, though, and I don't know who that's going to be. Yeah, I, I'm definitely curious. They got a lot of a lot of room for improvement on offense, that's for sure. Yeah, a lot of dudes coming back, though. Um, we got to lead with Tennessee. The Tennessee Volunteers uh, hired an AD today. Uh, First of they, all, yeah. before we get into it, just how, how you doing up there? Is it, is it okay are you, are, you, are you feeling okay dude it is been a roller coaster because it's amazing how down i was on everything just days ago to where i'm at now like it was code red of just like let's just shut it down this is all just what a dumpster fire this is all turning out to be and like you have the lane train popping up on the rock on campus you have lane like responding to students and fans being like we miss you and bring you back and he's just like that's the kind of loyalty i love and all this kind of stuff i think it's SNU that thing but like it has been a mess um fulmer retiring not being up for another rebuild at ut 
and then like the stuff of just like Peyton Manning being being in, heavily involved in the search with the Haslam's, and you're like, oh god, here we go again. And the early reports of who they were targeting, and then like the weird Kevin Steele stuff feels like six weeks ago. Like that feels like forever ago that Kevin Steele was just hired when there was a hiring freeze for a made up position um, while the investigation was going on. Jeremy Pruitt was flying out to California to save Henry Toa from joining the transfer portal, which he ultimately did. Speaking of, Toa gone. Eric Gray, gone. Like, we have it, just everything. It's so hard to keep up with um, all the different things. We lost our number one uh, signee uh, today. So, like, there's there's a, Wanya Morris uh, committed to uh, transfer to Oklahoma. Like, I, I can't keep up with it all. It's all just amazing, and it's a beautiful, beautiful mess, and I have no idea what to think about any of it, but it's just it's so much to keep up with that Tennessee fans are just like, I have no idea what's going on. It's just our pets' heads are falling off from Dumb and Dumber all, all, all day long. <laughs> well, and it sounded like, you know, we kind of originally speculated, like it, it felt like, you know, Phil Fulmer wanted wanted Pruitt out there, wanted, mm-hmm. wanted him out of there, wanted him gone, and it sounded like ultimately – that's kind of what cost him his job was he he was kind of big on Pruitt's side is that is it, are you hearing that same stuff I mean he was a Pruitt guy but he's also 70 like he's he was just not into hiring another coach and doing this job for the foreseeable future I think Pruitt was his guy and if it didn't work out then he was gone but if he did then he'd stick around a little bit longer he's not in the best shape um I don't know I I'm not surprised but also just if like if their football program is not good, there's no point in Philip Fulmer being the AD. And also just like not, you need a better fundraiser. You needed someone outside of the UT family to be the AD. You needed to go out and get a McGarity. You needed to go get a Scott Strickland. You needed to go get um, some of these ADs that are around the country that are just good. Like he felt very Lynn Swanian at U, like what he did at USC. That's what Philip Fulmer felt like at UT. And he has nothing to prove. It just hurts his legacy even more. Um, it is kind of wild that he went out with a coup attempt, like very Shakespearean as I think David Ubin or I forget who it was who pointed this out with Fulmer because of how he got the job originally um, back in the early nineties. Um, I don't know. I just, I think Pruitt, um, I, <laughs> I will say I gotta be careful with how I word this, but he is obviously going to sue. He's obviously like, you saw that statement after he got fired. Like this happened very quickly. This, feels like a kind of shady way to get out of paying a buyout like it is uh very convenient that uh, all this happened the way it did that tennessee found a way out of um paying jeremy pruitt but i'm gonna guess that they're gonna end up paying him something uh but yeah i, I think this was kind of like wow they actually got enough to fire with cause and then they were like yeah also fulmer you're not picking the next ad so you got to go too or next coach, so you got to go too. Yeah, it really, it really is bizarre. I, you wonder how much of the uh, how much of the dirty laundry is going to be uh, is going to be aired and all. Well, this. we already got some. So is is the McDonald's thing? I was going to say we haven't even talked about the McDonald's thing. Is that Dan even Patrick. is that true? Is that like factual? I don't know. I yeah. feel like I've just heard kind of rumors uh, that that might not even be accurate. So I, I don't, I don't know. It's it's a great story though. <laughs> That is a great story. Um, I wonder how many... I was telling my roommates about this today. I was like, I wonder how many people in Knoxville have just been going into the drive... Like, how many dads, suburban dads in Knoxville have been going through the McDonald's drive through this week being like, hey, you forgot my cash, 
and then looking you got for any, uh, you got any bags of cash you want to throw yeah. In <laughs> yeah that's that's such a dad joke for sure and they're all just like an ad and i'm like what are you talking about because there's no way the majority of any idea what that joke is in reference to but they are definitely cracking themselves up all day long every day so shout out to all the dads out there ruining um these fine people at McDonald's Day by just asking them where the bags of cash are because they forgot it in their uh, their Big Mac. <laughs> uh, extra extra twenties on that on, on that Big <laughs> Mac. <laughs> but uh, oh my god, my dad would do something like that. Um, I but at least they got the AD. They got the AD figured out now. So yes. that that's a that's a pretty huge step. He is an elite fundraiser. He like UCF is a gigantic school. He rebuilt that program, hired Scott Frost, hired Josh Heupel. Like the basketball program is moving in the right direction. Like that dude, yeah, Johnny Dawkins too. Yep. He he went undefeated. He put together an undefeated season. He claimed the national championship stuff. He's been one of those ads who've been railing against the group of five situation. Now that's um, the biggest asterisk. That's the biggest mark on his resume right there is the claiming the national championship. No, it was great. Like that was a great <laughs> thing. That was funny. Like that was objectively I mean, funny. It was, yeah, it was probably great for marketing for yes. sure for Central Florida. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, this was a shocker because you saw like the ECU guy pulled his name out, which was kind of a bad sign. I'm like, uh oh. Even ECU's like, yeah, we're we're good. Like the ECU AD being like, I'm, I'm okay. And I figured it would probably be the UAB. AD, who is, um, I believe, a Tennessee alum. but And I was kind of okay with that, too, because I was like, oh, can we get a package deal of him coming up and Bill Clark coming up? Because I'm a pretty big Bill Clark guy. Um, but now, you go with Danny White. Guess where Danny White was before UCF? Where's that? Buffalo. And guess where he hired, he hired Nate Oates at Buffalo, who's now excelling at Alabama in basketball. He also hired Lance Leopold who is excelling at Buffalo. So he is a very good judge of talent and a very good coach evaluator. And um, he raises a lot of money. He's got a lot of energy. He's actually the brother of Florida's basketball coach, which I didn't know until today. Michael. Oh, I didn't realize that either. Yeah. I did not put two and two together. Um, but this is a big step up for him. This is a home run hire. I think he's going to get like $1.2 million. Um, this is This is great. Now I'm just like, I was so dubious about where this was going to end up and like steel just being the interim and just the factory of sadness after all the transfers and steel just trotting out a really depleted bad Tennessee roster. Um, that was my fear. But now I'm like, Oh, they're absolutely hiring a big name next week. Like they're absolutely just like, Nope, we're fixing this this week. We're getting past all of this. This is done. We're not messing around. And Donde Plowman's like, yep, we're, we're, we're doing this. And she was also very clear that, like, Hugh Freeze is not coming. And by all accounts, when you listen to Greg Sankey and other people talk about it, like, it's like, oh, yeah. They're, they're, the SEC wants no part of Hugh Freeze. Like, no part. And that's probably why the Hugh Freeze-Auburn stuff died down quietly so quickly and why it's not happening at Tennessee. It's just like he's, he's quietly getting blackballed for good reason. And you also just can't fire Jerry Pruitt with cause for what he was accused of and then go and hire Hugh Freeze. You just can't do both. I think that's the main thing. I think I think it's possible for Hugh Freeze to coach in the SEC again. You know, I mean, if you're a good enough coach, you know, wins and losses, that's that's the bottom line of why these guys are getting the jobs. But if you're if you're if you just fired the coach with cause because of recruiting violations, I'd say just it's it's safe to just stay away from Hugh Freeze. Right. And, you know, 
uh, we'll we'll see what happens there. But um, I'm excited. Like Lance Leopold, I don't know if we'll get the job, but I would love Leopold to take a shot. Like I want an outside of the Tennessee family, an outside of the box hire. Um, Jamie Chadwell's got a good shot. It seems like um, I would love Jamie Chadwell. He's probably number one on my list. Uh, I would love to see that offense at UT. The question is, can he recruit um, at the level necessary? But I think he can scheme necessary to compete in the SEC. But um, I don't know. I think I'm suddenly very energized about where they're going to go. And I have no idea. The fact that they went Danny White here and he took it is still wild to me. Like, this is just out of character for Tennessee to just stumble into the right decision like this. And this is this is good. I'm excited. I mean, if you can recruit good players to Coastal Carolina, I imagine you can recruit good players to Tennessee. You know, it's I a think big you're... jump, though. This is a very, very big jump, and this is a very different situation going from Coastal to uh, to uh, Knoxville. It's just it's a little bit different, man. Oh, for sure. But um, I mean, who who are some of the other 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 names? Like, I mean, Billy Napier is the Vegas favorite right now. Last I checked. See, I just think if Billy Napier is going to turn down Auburn, I don't, I don't know what makes Tennessee better than Auburn. You know that I feel like if you're going to, I that's that's really the only the only way I see it. If he's going to turn down Auburn, I don't think he has to turn down Tennessee. I just I don't I don't see what they they can offer. But I've seen names like you know Tony Elliott from from Clemson being thrown around, and Tom I don't think Herman's happening. names been thrown out there like. Even like Gus Malzahn, like if, if you're the biggest thing you're worried about is beating Alabama, like you haven't beaten Alabama since since what 2006, I think was last time. Well, you can't bring in Malzahn because you just hired Kevin Steele, and Kevin Steele just led a coup against Malzahn. Yes, <laughs> that is very true. Is is the Kevin Steele thing? Is he definitely around to stay? Dude, I, mean, I if, know. I that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I would know. assume. Yeah, that's just such a strange because hire, guess what? This though, AD didn't bring him in, and this coach didn't bring him in. Exactly. So I feel like a a new coach, and that's why I wonder, like. Could he bring Scott Frost? Could he bring Josh Heupel? Up, you know, he's got Scott Frost from Florida. I, I Scott don't know. Frost is doing worse than Jeremy Pruitt was, was doing, but um, but yeah, I don't know. It's I would imagine just whoever the head coach is coming. If you're you're a big time coach, you're big enough to get a job like Tennessee. You're not just gonna take the defensive coordinator that they have. Like you want to want to build your own staff, especially if that defensive coordinator was just known for maybe trying to set up a coup against his previous head coach. Dude, I have no idea. I, I think it's still going to be very fascinating to see what happens, but um, you have some, uh, you, you have some questions about the, how good of a job and the, the rankings of Tennessee, correct? So, yes, because I feel like every time a job like Tennessee is opened up, it's like, Oh, that's a top 10 job. That's definitely a top 10 job. And then people don't, they just throw that term out there like it doesn't mean anything. But you actually look at the top ten jobs, and like Tennessee, I don't think they're anywhere close to be honest. Like, oh, so I I gave my tiers. All right, I got I got three tiers of uh, of jobs here. So you could say this first tier is a little big because there's probably a little drop off within it. But my tier one right here, which is ten teams, just uh, coincidentally, um, is Bama. Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Notre Dame, Texas, USC. I feel like that's a tier of its own right there. And then just below that, it's this 11 to 18 range. You got Texas A&M, Miami, Florida State, Oregon, Auburn, Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin. Like, I feel like if you're judging how good of jobs all those are, Wisconsin's a little 
Michigan, Wisconsin, they're kind of on that same level as Tennessee. They're they're borderline. But so you're talking that's at 17-18. So at best, Tennessee is like the 17th, 18th best job in the country. And then you get down to that that third tier. I would say Tennessee is kind of at the top of this tier, but you have Tennessee, Oklahoma State. Stanford, North Carolina, Nebraska, Iowa, Ole Miss maybe. I'm not sure Ole Miss is in there, but just trying to think of, you know, just certain places that are seem like attractive places to go right now and, and just over the last like 10 years or 20 years what they've been, just kind of how they recruit. Those That's kind of – that's where I see Tennessee. So I feel like I see Tennessee at best, you know, maybe the, the 17th best job and at worst maybe, you know, down at 24, 25. What are your thoughts? They're probably in the 10 to 20 range based on what they can pay. Being in the SEC East, I think, is better than being in the SEC West. The pipeline is still good. Um, I I think if you look at it as like the East is just – Georgia is obviously a huge roadblock at this moment, but this was not the case before Kirby came in and built this recruiting empire. Florida doesn't recruit all that well. That's a big indictment there, and they've lost a lot of pieces this offseason. Um, Mizzou, we'll see. We'll get into some hires they've made, but like you look at the East, and it's it's pretty limited. So if you're looking at recruiting, like recruiting should really be the number one indicator, and also money and just resources. And Tennessee still has the money to like they should be ahead of Oklahoma State. It's a better job. Um, I I should say it, there's a better opportunity of winning a national title at Tennessee than Oklahoma State. Like you'll just get better players, and more players are going to want to play in Tennessee than Oklahoma. But you look at Oklahoma and they're they're a powerhouse and they're a better program. But it uh I don't know. I think they're like sixteenth, fifteenth, seventeenth, something like that. Feels about right. Yeah. I think that's a, that's about where they are. And so it's it's still a really good job and it's still it's still in the SEC and like you said, the fact that it's in the East makes it a little more attractive. But um but yeah, I think it's people just need to realize like what to be a top 10 job, what it truly means. Like those are the elite blue bloods of the sport basically. And other than basically all of those are blue bloods, maybe in terms of the tradition, other than, you know, maybe some of those sec teams like, you know, Georgia and Florida who just kind of in recent years, just everyone in the sec is just kind of, it's kind of a better job than those other bigger, bigger teams around the country. Like Michigan was obviously what are they, their first all time, I think in wins but they're just the cachet that Michigan has. And definitely with someone like Nebraska is just, it's just ancient history essentially at this point. Yeah. And those are the thing of the past. And I, I don't know. I just think we're getting more and more to the point where if you don't have the money to put in some crazy resources, like Kirby did when he first took the job, he's like, all right, here's 5 million in recruiting. Like, unless you have those kind of resources at that university, it's hard to really inch your way into that top five job status. But, um, yeah, I mean, if Tennessee would operated like a normal university, like a Georgia, if they operated like Georgia, then it would be a top 10 job, but they don't. And there's varying factors as to why that is. And I'm learning more, more and more about those while I'm here. But I, uh, I don't know. 15th is about where they're at. But I also think they have the opportunity if they figured their stuff out to be, it's like the Mets where they, the Mets should be a top two, top three job in sports. They should be there Tennessee should be a top 10 top eight job every year they're just not for non for reasons that just should not be a thing 
but that's what's so frustrating about Tennessee is like they are not Ole Miss they're not Mississippi State they can be in that Georgia not Georgia at this point I guess just because of the talent in Georgia versus the talent in Tennessee but close to that so like they should be in that Auburn zone they should be Auburn of the east yeah and and they still I feel like because the stadium like they still have that feeling like they can return to you know where they once were but, you know, I, I've heard – I saw it. I, I don't know who – I can't remember who said it uh, the other day. Kind of compared them to Nebraska because they're, you know, a team that, you know, hasn't been nationally relevant in a while. But they're also like a former powerhouse that relies so much on out-of-state recruiting that, you know, once – now the, there's more powerhouses in Tennessee's vicinity now than there was in the 90s. You know, Clemson and Georgia weren't nearly what they were – 20 30 years ago that they are now and and then if you just look in the at the recruiting rankings like the state of Tennessee if you go like the last three years is producing like maybe five maybe six top 200 players a year like the state of Georgia just for one example like they produce 17 top 200 players in this last class it's like that's that's three times as many and you just it when you're when there's that much more talent in those states and I think one thing when Mark Richt got came to Georgia, like Tennessee was always getting a lot of uh, talent from the state of Georgia. I think that era kind of stopped Tennessee's kind of pipeline to Georgia. And because of the lack of talent in the state of Tennessee, like it's just, it's difficult for them to keep that, that recruiting base. Yeah. Well, it's uh, going to be an interesting spring, but I am excited because I do think there is a much better opportunity of Tennessee actually making a big higher now than I would have maybe thought um, before the, the the Danny White hire. I don't think he is going to whiff on this, and it seems odd. It just now I'm wondering about the Peyton and Haslam stuff. Like, did they okay Danny White, or is this like, oh no, we're that was a report that might have been a little erroneous and that Danny White's going to have the final say like that is going to be very fascinating to me is like how much of this is going to be Peyton and the Haslam's pushing Adam Gase and how much of this is going to be like Danny White being like no let's just go get Jimmy Chadwell I, I'm, I'm very curious yeah you gotta at least be like you know optimistic with the, with the foundation of just having like an athletic director who's who's proven to be you know competent at his job <laughs> competent at the very least i think he's excelled like he's a really oh, for sure AD. for sure i'm saying tennessee that's like the the bare minimum they they yes. haven't even had that in recent years uh missouri they hired former arizona cardinals head coach steve wilkes to be their new dc what do you think of the hire uh that's a big time missouri for missouri to be hiring uh former head coaches to be assistants i feel like that's a it's about as good as they can do especially when you're getting sued by Derek dooley what are they getting sued by Derek Dooley for? Uh, he has not been paid, allegedly, for his last year at uh, Mizzou. Ah. Uh, what can you do? He, he's he, he's <laughs> he's had more jobs than he's really deserved anyway. So, Yikes. Shots fired at Derek Dooley. Um, hey, the du- Dooleys are, are, are royalty in uh, in Athens, but I don't I don't know how he how he's gotten some of the jobs that he's that he's gotten to be honest. Well, I've got a I've got uh well I think he's actually a lawyer. I think he went to law school. He's a super smart guy, but um I can I can give you a hint, and it has to it, it's it's not a planet, but it sounds like a planet. Maybe um nepa uh, what is the word um nepotism maybe is the is the word. It could there. be it could be a clue. It could be. 
Um, Charles Huff takes the Marshall job. A lot of assistants um, gone from Alabama. Uh, we'll get into who they're replacing uh, a lot of these guys in just a second. But Charles Huff, running back coach at Alabama, largely responsible for Najee Harris turning into just uh, a monster at Bama, just all the different five stars they are pulling in there with Sanders and friends. Um, this is he- now the, the ninth uh, coach left Alabama to be a head coach somewhere else in the last six years. That's wild. Ninth in the last six years, yeah, that's crazy. And Butch Jones wasn't even actually on the staff, so there could be there could have been other guys that I wasn't counting that were like support staff that went and got a another head coaching job. Yeah, I mean, I I was surprised when they fi- they moved on. They didn't fire him. They just moved on from like they didn't extend his contract. Um, and Marshall at one point, Doc Holliday's Marshall Thundering Herd, they had the best odds of going undefeated this year. And he's just gone. And it was like, yeah, we're good. We're going to move on. And they get Charles Huff. But um, going to be interesting to see. He takes over a good program there in West Virginia. I'm excited to see what he does in his first uh, head coaching opportunity. Um, Bama, though, they reload, losing Sark. And Sark trying to pull as many Alabama assistants with him. He got Floyd. Um, Floyd will be his offensive line coach. Sark confirmed that he will call plays at UT. So he doesn't really need an offensive coordinator. But he didn't need no line coach. They so got Kyle Flood. Um, Bama's replacing a lot. But guess what? They got Doug Marone, former NFL head coach, to be their offensive line coach. And they got Bill O'Brien, former head coach of the Texans, to be their offensive coordinator because that is what Saban does. And uh, I think Bama will be fine without Sark and Flood. Yeah, that's just standard operating procedure. I think that was. I think you were one of the first names. Like, that was one of the first names you threw out there when we were talking about them filling their offensive coordinator. And. Right when you said it, it was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like exactly what they're going to do. Bill O'Brien, perfect. Then he'll get, he'll be the head coach at, who knows, Kentucky in, in, in three years or something. Yeah. Not that I'm putting Mark Stoops' head on the chopping block or anything. He's doing an excellent job. Yeah. Um, it's not in my notes, but I do think it's important to mention that uh, Barton Simmons of 247 is like the national recruiting director or director of player personnel at Vanderbilt now. And Vanderbilt yeah, that's really wild. investing. That's wild, right? A uh, crazy career change. Barton Simmons, I was a big fan of his. I hope uh, they're able to keep keep the recruiting game up. Twenty four sevens where I get all my all my content. Yeah, I I I'm excited about it. So that it's gonna be interesting with Clark Lee. I really like what Vanderbilt's doing this off season. They're making a lot of smart hires, and uh, they got a long way to go. And it's uh, it's gonna be a process, but they are seemingly taking football a lot more seriously than they had in previous years. Um. Derek Mason, obviously, moving on to Auburn to be their defensive coordinator. Shane Beamer has already made like 39 coaching hires this <laughs> offseason uh, for guys coming in and out. Um, have we missed anyone in the SEC at this point? Or who are we missing? Uh, Georgia. Uh, oh, Georgia lost your defensive backs coach, correct? That's true. Charlton Warren uh, going to Indiana to be defensive coordinator. And so Dan Lanning is also when he was kind of hinted to that uh, Texas defensive coordinator job, and and he said he's going to stay at Georgia. But um, another big hire I think is uh, Travaris Robinson going to Miami. I think that's a I think that's that a huge official? hire. Uh, I thought it was. Oh man, now you're uh, now you're making me question it. But I think he's just you know he's been kind of Will Muschamp's right hand man for. 
shoot, I don't know how long, like yeah, the last it's, decade. It's official now, yeah. Yeah, so when they at Florida. Oh, yeah, because now you got Will Muschamp coming in there. Well, I'm just saying, like, he's always been such a great recruiter. Like, that's, like, what Will Muschamp's staff has always done so well. So I feel like now being in Miami, it's it's going to be tough for people to get take some talent out of Miami. You're already seeing a lot of uh, – a lot of big time recruits from that area stay home or like in Tyreek Stevenson's case for Georgia, he's transferring home to Miami. So I think that's, I think that's big. Uh, he's a big time defensive back coach and a big time recruiter. Yeah. Do you want much? I, 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 you want much in there on Georgia staff? Yeah. Oh man, I'd be all for it. He's he's good enough to be a head coach. Like he's always been a good recruiter, like always been a good coordinator. So you know, I don't know if he would accept like a defensive back coach. He, if that's kind of beneath him at this point, I'm not really sure. But I feel like just having his input on on Georgia's staff, it's like Kirby. He's a guy Kirby trusts. So I, I uh, he, Will Muschamp gets a lot of a lot of criticism for his lack of success as a head coach. But I mean, he's obviously he obviously knows a lot, whole lot about football. For sure, for sure. Um. Perhaps the biggest stunner in the last week, Larry Scott out. Um, he'll his contract will not be renewed. Um, he'll be gone this summer as Pac-12 commish. Early names that have been tossed around are pretty fascinating. Um, Condoleezza Rice I saw was uh, tossed around, but it seems like whoever they hire is going to be someone who's like Gene Smith. I think is the favorite as of right now, which I thought was fascinating. Ohio State's current AD. Um, this is something that had to be done. The Pac-12 is falling behind. The They have a terrible TV deal. does not run out until 2024. I am fascinated to see where they go, but they need to do a lot very quickly because the Pac-12 are quickly falling more into the group of five stage than the Power Five, and they have got to make some serious moves to get out of that. But also, something that I don't feel like is talked about enough with the Pac-12 that will always be a disadvantage for them in terms of recruits and everything else is that they they are always going to be limited because of when they can actually be on TV. The West Coast time actually really hurts. I think the Pac-12. Pac-12 after dark is great, but for the casual fan, they don't see them. Tennessee and Bama play at 3 o'clock on Saturdays. You don't see that um, with the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is on late. A lot of their teams are on late, and most East Coast people have gone to bed. Most of the mid Midwest have gone to bed after the big games on Saturday night. They don't stay up for a lot of the Pac-12 games. So I think that is something that will always make the Pac-12 job as commissioner more difficult than the SEC and ACC. But it is salvageable. They've won titles. This should be a better conference than they're at right now. It seems like they are really in a rock and a hard place. But, you know, I think it is salvageable. It's just going to take time. And, yeah, I'm to your point, uh, you you made a couple of the points I was going to make. I I'm not sure what the what the c- commissioner of the league is really supposed to do. You know, if if there's good teams and good programs, like we'll watch the Pac-12. You know, like there's USC's heyday where I watched plenty of Pac-12 football, but right now there's just no good teams, and I'm not sure what the commissioner can do about that. Like I guess you know sign a better TV contract, and then just everything trickles down from there. You know, and maybe if all the schools have more money, they all get better facilities. They can all get better players. You know, maybe that's all it is. But, uh, yeah, I feel like just in terms of being on the West Coast, just the noon kickoffs, The like, yeah, it's a great idea to try to get on TV. But I don't know. It just it makes your conference look so 
I don't know, just gimmicky. The fact that you're you're playing it at 9 a.m. in the morning, you know, it's like the, I thought the fr- a lot of the Friday nights, a lot of the Friday night games they've done have been a good a uh, good idea. But at the same time, when you're not playing college football on Saturday, it just feels a little bit lesser than. And that's, I guess, that's the the, the new Pac-12 commissioner's uh, biggest job is like, how do you make that conference feel like it's it's a power five conference. Like it right now it just doesn't in, in terms of football. I mean, basketball, they haven't been great in recent years either, but I don't know. I, I I'm not, that's a, that's an uphill job for sure. Yeah. But you know, I am excited to see what they do. I want to see all conferences thrive and succeed. So we'll see what happens there. Um, have we missed anything? Are you, do you have any Andy Avalos thoughts as the new Boise state head coach? I, I do not have any thoughts. Do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, it's a good hire, probably. They have a new AD. Their AD came from Baylor. Um, so we'll see what happens there. We're, he's retaining some of the staff from Harson. Um, but, you know, he, he put together a really good Oregon defense. Oregon was uh, very solid defensively under Avalos last couple of years. So um, don't know what he'll be as a head coach, but um, pretty solid hire. And it's a defensive guy for the first time in a while down there in Boise. No doubt. All right. Um, I That is all I've got, sir. Is there anything else that uh, you would like to touch on before we wrap up here tonight, Matt? Um, that is that is all I have, sir. All right. Well, thank you, as always, my friend, for making the time. We'll be back next week with more college football stuff to talk about. We need to do – I. Hey, who's uh, – how about who's going to the Super Bowl? Uh, the Packers and the Chiefs. That's – I like that. I like that pick. Well, let, let me put the caveat. If Mahomes plays, if Mahomes plays, I'm going Chiefs Packers if he does not uh, Bills Packers. Is there a chance he's not going to play? I mean, he hasn't cleared concussion protocol yet. I, 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 I'll be, I'll be happy with either of those. I just, I really don't want the Bucks in the Super Bowl. I'll be honest. <laughs> I just, I really don't want to see that team, Tom Brady in another Super Bowl. Come on. I actually kind of love the idea of Tom Brady winning the Belichick divorce. That's fair. I um I don't know. I just feel like Tom Brady's overrated, man. Uh, what it's is just, happening? What he really what? is. He's oh he's God. a he's such a solid what quarterback. What is happening? The greatest Aaron quarterback Rogers, of all times overrated. Aaron Rodgers is so much better than Tom Brady. He's like always been better. He just oh. runs around, slings it. It's like what is oh, happening? Man. I feel like those Patriots teams are like the luckiest teams of all time. You know what doesn't get talked about enough? Like <laughs> after like the tuck rule play was he got hurt in that AFC championship and Drew Bledsoe uh-huh. was the reason they got to the Super Bowl. Uh-huh. Like how lucky is that? But no, he was just he was so lucky because he was a game manager and they had those great defenses. Peyton Manning was always better than Brady. But the Patriots' defenses were always better, and so they always won in the playoffs. And then, like, and then after that, then he started putting up the big stats, and it was like, okay, he is, he is like a legit, a legit. He's like Russell Wilson. Like Russell Wilson got his his Super Bowl before he was ever actually elite. You know what I mean? It's the same same kind of thing. Like Brady got three Super Bowls before he was ever actually like the best quarterback in the league. That's just that's my that's my two cents. You know, I'm a college. <laughs> I'm a college football guy, but uh, oh. I just feel like Brady's just so overrated, man. Give me Aaron Rodgers every day of the week. Oh, my goodness. You don't like that? You don't like that hot take? 
I mean, you thought we were done. You thought we were all done just for having this show up. I got the hottest take of of the night. You have the hottest take of the year. I Tom Brady's I, this came out of great. nowhere. It's obviously great. It's like Derek Jeter. Derek, I, he's also the most. No, Derek Jeter's not player. the greatest baseball player of all time. He's not even he's close. Not. No, he's not. But Tom Brady's not the greatest football player of all I mean, time. I mean, he's the greatest quarterback at the most important position in his sport. Like it is. Yeah, that's. I mean, Derek Jeter was not. If you're gonna automatically say the best quarterback is like the best player, but I feel like this the best football player. I just have to put other positions ahead of a quarterback. Who? What position are you putting ahead of a quarterback? You're not winning anything without a quarterback. No, I'm just saying like certain great individuals. No, I know what you mean. Like, but just someone like Deion Sanders, like a Barry Sanders or something like that. Yeah, neither of them are better all time than Tom. A Lawrence Taylor or something like someone just dominant like that. You know what I mean? But but you know that's. If you if you want to if the caveat is this most important position the quarterback you know that's it's a whole other argument that's I can understand that argument. Unreal, Matt Green. I I don't even know what to do <laughs> right now. Like I am just absolutely floored at what just happened the last five minutes of this podcast. But if you're taking the Chiefs, give me uh give me Buffalo. I'm def- I'll definitely be rooting for Buffalo. Okay. Just because um, uh, and it's a great story. I think it's also just gonna be two great games. That's why I want Mahomes. So I'm very excited to see what happens here. Brady back in the snow. Um, I'm, I'm just excited. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, for that guy <laughs> down there in Decula, Georgia, Matt Green, we can follow you at Matt underscore W underscore Green. You can follow myself at Chase underscore Thomas. Go leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple. Ru- uh, I was about to say Rufus, the dog. I, uh, Zeus, the dog. Um, I forget his name, Matt. Do you know why I forget his name? Because you never send pictures of <laughs> Zeus with social media copy anymore. It's been like five months. The listeners just assume this dog is just on IR forever, that he never got right post-surgery, and that you're hiding you're, you're hiding the injury report for him, and that it's uh, more dire than you let on. <laughs> to be fair, he never had surgery. But, um, no, I'm just gonna no, keep saying he had he surgery. Just keeps, he keeps it, uh, keeps it low-key. You know? he's, not, he's not a big social media guy. Right. He likes to live in the moment, you know. He doesn't. He doesn't put everything. Uh, doesn't take pictures of everything, you know. It's you know that's his that's his style. I can't. I can't. I can't force him, you know. If only the human had something to do, like something to do with forcing <laughs> a dog to do something on a daily basis. If only humans had some sort of command traits with their their dogs. If only. But unfortunately, only- they're all dingoes, um, and we we can't do it. Um, Matt. Thank you as always, my friend, and we'll be back next week when Tennessee has introduced Jamie Chadwell as their next football coach. Fingers crossed. I'd take. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Thursday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by Coach Philip Jones at Brookwood High School. I can't even say that without my face cringing as a Partview alum. Coach Jones, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good, Chase. Thanks for having me on. You know, I uh, 
you know, the the, the Bible says that, that Jesus, you know, ate with the uh, with with the publicans and the sinners. So I guess uh, he called me to be on with you, you're a part of your graduate. <laughs> you know what? Uh, I mean, it's it's just been tough, man. I I can't get away from orange. I'm over here in Knoxville in grad school at UT. Mm. I have the orange from Parkview in me. I got a lot of orange. Got a lot, not a lot of maroon man. and gold, but a lot of orange. Man, I'm not a not an orange guy. You know, I went to Brookwood and. You know, obviously our rival was Parkview, and then I went to play in South Carolina, and uh, we finished every season I was there with what they called the Orange Crush, which mm. is Tennessee, then Florida, mm-hmm. and then obviously, obviously Clemson being the big, big rival. So, so me and Orange have never been big friends. So I'm, I'm sorry to hear that, Chase. I'm sorry you had to live like that. Well, the good news is for you, it's less Orange. I don't know when I have Coach Godfrey on in the future. I'm going to ask him about this because. There's been a very poor development. It, this is something I'll give Brooklyn credit for, Coach, is that y'all maintain wow. the maroon and gold. Parkview is getting so blue heavy. The amount of blue that is now in the mm-hmm. Parkview uniforms is outrageous. The orange and white yeah. is all we need. Too much blue. I don't like it. Yeah, I think you need to. I think you need to start a, a Twitter storm mm. about that, and uh, definitely make a maybe maybe make some big complaints about that. Maybe write some letters to to Mr. Smith, the principal. Oh, Mr. And, Smith and I um, go way back. He he. Yeah, he's Wake actually Forest my neighbor. Himself. He's actually he's actually my neighbor. He lives right around the corner from me. Really? He, he actually he's yeah he's he's a smart one who actually lives in the Brookwood cluster and just mm. works in Parkview. So, um, but then uh, but yeah, they, you're right. There there is a lot of blue going. Coach Coach uh, Godfrey's he's been uh, rocking the blue jerseys lately, and yep. you know I had I had dinner with him the other night, and he was wearing a blue a blue sweatshirt. So uh. you know. <laughs> Well, tell him for me that I don't approve. As the most famous alum out of Parkview outside of Jeff Rancor, I'm going to have to say no, that that stuff needs to go away. It's the big orange, not the big blue. Yeah, right. There you go. Well, I'll let you take that up with him. I'm just just the one tattletaling. All right. I'll I'll let you fix it. (laughs) Tell uh, Mm. uh, Professor Principal Smith that I said hello. I have not seen him in so long now. Good guy. We used to play golf in the office, actually, uh, when I was not doing the <laughs> thing I was supposed to do. And what was that class? What do they have the high school class? It's like, not intern, but there was something that you take in high school. Office aid. Yeah. Probably office aid. Yeah, for an yeah. elective. And I, I very much did not uh, aid the office outside of uh, <laughs> talking about sports. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, you had a good time, though, I'm sure. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So this season, Coach. Um, it was the, I'm sure the weirdest football season you've ever coached, uh, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you and your staff make it through this season? Well, like we just talked about before we jumped on the podcast, I mean, it's just, just day by day. Um, you know, obviously the health and safety of our athletes took priority. And so we made sure we, um, we uh, sort of held fast to our to our guidelines for given to us by the county and the state on on uh, you know on mask wearing and uh, social distancing and um, organ you know locker room organization transportation organization um, and um, we uh, and just we had to you know it just in terms of how we gathered after practice I mean I could go on and on so. So the health and safety of our athletes came first. So we had to focus on that. And then after that, it was, you know, try to, try to, you know, try to pull off a season despite all those things. And I mean, I heard, uh, I heard Bronco Mendenhall with Virginia say, you know, his, you know, as a head coach, his, he had to be 
sort of the you know his first line of management about everything was was dealing with COVID and managing his team despite that, and and football took a distant second, and that's that's a lot. That's very much how I felt this year, and I'm sure all of all of uh, my head coaching colleagues would agree. So definitely weird. Um, changed the way we practice, changed the way we organized, changed the way we prepared, how we traveled, um, obviously how the how the fans. Um, uh, were organized and how many could come see us and and so it just it just felt a little off to be honest but ultimately we were just very thankful that we got a chance to play and that we we're able to pull a season off because all those spring sports prior had to, had to have their seasons cut early how how impressed with, were you with your kids handling protocols and everything during the season to make sure that you oh could it was play? amazing it was amazing i mean i finished every practice you know we we our rule, and uh, we have three rules, and our first one is protect the family, and that was we just dovetailed that into how we dealt with COVID and said, you know, with social distancing, um, wearing a mask anytime we were indoors, and you know, my phrase for it was make sure to when when you leave here, go back to your own personal bubble, you know, and um, and our kids did a beautiful job. We had minimal kids um, impacted. Um, you know, probably just a small number of kids infected, um, or, or had to be quarantined. So it, it honestly, we were, we were very, very blessed. And there were a lot of programs that hit, that hit a lot further, but I just attribute that to the seriousness of which our kids took it and our families in general took it. Um, the, the administration on the County level here and, and, and our, and our school, um, and, and on top of that, the, work, the great work done by our athletic trainers here, uh, with checking kids every in every day and keeping good records and being diligent about separating kids when it was necessary, and it just it took a lot of work, but but very fortunate and very very uh, and just loved how we were able to pull it off. What did you learn about yourself and your team throughout this process? Oh man, um, you know I think it was. Um, I think I imagine. I, I guess just to keep it simple, I don't want to sound cliche, but just how that, just what what great kids we have here at Brookwood. Just how blessed I am to get to coach them. How blessed I am to get to be here. Um, you know, they would. You know, they they whenever we asked them to do something, they did it. Whenever, um, you know, they they took everything seriously. Like I said, and um, it made me. Um, really be thankful for our staff as well because they they all took it seriously and so because of the fact that we you know to be honest our the, the probably the biggest disruption we had with the whole deal is is myself actually I found out um, on game day we're we're getting ready to play South Gwinnett in game nine um, and I found out that my daughter had been diagnosed uh, positive with COVID and so because oh, wow. of my direct contact with her I was I immediately had to um, be taken to quarantine and um and so i had to miss the next 12 days including the parking game <laughs> so i didn't even i wasn't even a part of the team for the preparation we won't or, talk about that or game. On, on game night about part of you. <laughs> <laughs> well see maybe it was because i was gone and they were we were able to have some mm. here but uh <laughs> all right well make sure but, um, that you circle that in is for this fall that uh, you got to be <laughs> okay. on the sidelines for this year's part of game. right i got it <laughs> so i hate it i missed it i was sitting in a I was sitting in the basement quarantined watching watching our uh, second half uh surge and we're able to to, to come uh, to pull that pull that big win off it was it was crazy but but yeah man just just overall just just learn what just what just the, the excellence in which our staff operates with 
the seriousness in which our kids took it and just and just bought into the to what we had to do to to pull off the season. The oddest thing you found yourself doing in quarantine was what? <laughs> the oddest thing I saw. Oh my gosh, that's a. Um, Hmm. Goodness gracious. I don't know. You know, to be honest, I just, to be honest, my, my day, I would get up at the same time I would always get up mm-hmm. and I would get to work and I would get to work. A lot of people were like, are you bored? And I was like, I really wasn't. I mean, the, the job of a head coach is not, um, you know, the actual in-person coaching is very, is very small compared to everything else we have to do as a head coach. So mm-hmm. from, from the administrative work to the emails, to the calls, to the text, to the, you know, everything else you have to do is in the organization communication you have to do as a head coach far outweighs, you know, uh, the, <clears throat> the on field coaching kind of stuff. So the podcast you know, I would get up and do the, and the podcast appearances, the high profile podcast. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and would, you know, that was kind of what I'd get up and, and do all day and you know i i turn the tv on and keep it running and usually just you know it's at their own sports center all day long i'd watch about you know 17 episodes of sports center all day but it would be on mute and, and i'd just be working um i would tell I myself you that, as a new girl guy to to work with. <laughs> <laughs> wow man i know i gave off that vibe but yeah uh, yeah strong new girl vibe sports center. <laughs> so i um you know kind of bounce just Kept on Sports Center and just worked all day. And um, I told myself I was gonna, you know, maybe I've got a couple books I've been wanting to read. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll, maybe I'll read this or that book and just would, would never really do it. It just <laughs> just working all day. <laughs> so anyway, I like it. I not like very it. exciting, man. I know you were looking for a for a cool, insightful answer on that question. No, that's really interesting. What? Uh, yeah. How early are you starting your day? What, what? When does Coach Jones get up and get moving? Uh, six o'clock. Okay. Six o'clock. Yep. All right. Six o'clock and uh, kind of get going. I'm not. A, I'm. I am a. I'm a night owl though. Same. Six o'clock is. I'm a night owl. My my grandmother. You know, kind of my my, my dad's side of the family. The all all the Joneses are night owls. Mm-hmm. And my my dad would my dad would stay up till midnight or after every night. I know all my cousins and uncles and that side of the family. My my grandmother was. You know my. My grandmother was 94 years old oh, wow. past midnight and on that side of the family. So it's just a, just a thing I run, that runs in that side of the family. If I go to bed at midnight, I, I, that's early for me, to be honest with you. Interesting. Until one or, until, I like until one it. Or two, so. And you're yeah, fine getting up at six. You don't need much sleep. No, I mean, it's just four to six hours. Yeah, that's enough for me. Interesting. If it's less, if it's less than that, uh, you know, if it's less than that on two or three consecutive days, I'll start to starting to feel the pinch mm-hmm. i'm kind of i'm kind of also a i'm kind of also a midday 10 to 15 minute nap kind of guy okay so i'll kick my feet up for, for 10 to 15 minutes that just just a little recharge nap and did you already get that in kind of i'll i have not no, okay i've not you're right. you're you're actually cut you're actually cutting into that so we'll see how <laughs> i feel for the rest of the day <laughs> well apologies are all around to future interactions for you today. no i'm i'm actually i'm actually good today so i actually went go. to bed at about twelve thirty last night, so that's a lot of sleep. So I'm actually feeling feeling a little extra juice today, so I'm feeling good. <laughs> How has football changed at the high school level since you played? How what are the biggest changes that you've noticed? Well, I mean, the most obvious and uh, 
from a strategic perspective is just how everybody throws the ball. Everybody spreads it out and everybody throws the ball. You know, if anybody, you know, when you watch these teams play, if you see somebody that still sits in the wishbone or the wing tee, you're just like, wow, they are a straight dinosaur. You know? <laughs> so, so, but you, when I played, when I was in high school in the late nineties, you know, everybody, you know, we played, we would play part of you back in the late nineties and we were in the, you know, we ran the split back. Y'all running goal and, lines. Like, y'all were not going downfield. Like, there was no reads downfield. There were no play calls that, like, okay, we're going to do a 15-yard out. Like, there there was no 15-yard no out. No, so. no. Yeah, I think if it was if it was third more than seven, we might run, like, the quick pitch. You know, or a, uh, <laughs> with Covington. That, at least my, well, with Covington. He was a little after me. They threw it a little bit more. I'll be honest. This is, yeah. this is a kind of a funny, um, uh, you know, I guess this illustrates the point. We won the state championship my senior year mm-hmm. here at Brookwood. Um, and we, we don't acknowledge five. that in Gwinnett County. I don't, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Parvey <laughs> went uh, – they, they had a three straight seasons of uh, undefeated uh, death. Know, That's what we, we remember. Know, I know. Thanks. <laughs> well, we did have the first one. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I just want to remind you of that as well. Anyway, but – so we – um, we played in, in our five playoff games toward the toward the winning of the state championship. We threw sixteen total passes in five games. That's and insane. you know, and the way we run our offense now, that's like that. You know, that's that's not even what we, how many we throw in our first half mm-hmm. of one game. <laughs> so um, we ran six. Yeah, six. We beat Valdosta in the state championship in nineteen ninety six. 45 to 17, I believe it was. And we threw three passes that night. Two were incomplete, and one was complete to their free safety. <laughs> oh, and won the game. And won the game 45 to 17. Anyway. Um, so, anyway. So, that, that that's the biggest way it's changed. I mean, everybody everybody's gotten good at throwing the ball. Everybody sort of changed their philosophy to uh, how to move the ball offensively. Um, and Did then you have to adjust? Are, uh, yeah, I think we all have. We all have. You know, when I got out of when I got out of college, but kind of my honey hole was, you know, I'm on, and I was an offensive lineman too, and I played at Brookwood, and I played mm. for Lou Holtz in college. So, you know, my sort of my sort of roots were let's line up and twenty one, twenty two personnel, yeah. and let's 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 knock your ass off the ball and get mm. the ball downhill, and you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, and and you know, that's that's just not the way. That's just not a you know, unless you just got a ridiculously good offensive line or tailback, that's just not the way to, to, to move the ball. No, well not a lot anymore. of Zed McKenzie's uh, and Stinchcombs anymore. No, there's not. And, you know, I know there's, there's, there's your places like, I mean, blessed Trinity um, has been extremely successful doing that kind of thing over the last uh, five or six years. And of course, McFarland's extremely committed to, to, to doing that kind of thing, but there's, there's not many people that are doing that. And uh, so, so everybody's still so from a, from a strategic perspective, um, I think everybody's. I think everybody's moving the ball. I think from a um, sort of an off the field perspective, I think that um, you know, I think it used to be that kids. Um, I got two more things to say. It used to be that you know, if you were sort of an able bodied male, you played football. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the back in the late nineties, really up till. Um, really up to some of the concussion fears that arose about a decade ago, started about a decade ago. You know, before that, if you were if you were a if you were a able bodied male with a decent amount of athletic ability, 
you know, you had community pressure, you had school pressure, and you had peer pressure to play football. It was the thing to do, especially here in Georgia, you know. And what shifted is that, you know, in 2021, you know, if a kid wants to play football, it's generally because he just wants to play football, because he loves the game. You know, a lot of times they're not going to get a whole lot of parent pressure to play anymore because a lot of the moms are scared about injuries and concussions. Um and as the times have changed, there's been a, a ton of other sports that have been introduced. Um, and so you got a lot of kids that are playing um, lacrosse instead or, um, you know, or playing um, or just being involved with sports they might start at a little younger because they consider it to be a little safer. Um, and so that's another thought. That's another way that, that, that balls really change. I mean, the kids – Kids don't play necessarily anymore because they're supposed to or because they feel pressured to by the by the community or their parents or their friends or anything. They just usually they just play because they just they just want to play and because uh, they love the game. Usually, instead of the parents talking the kids into play these days, it's usually the kids having to talk their parents yeah. into playing football these days. Um, and so, especially and, mom. And lastly, <laughs> you exactly. Um, now we're we're fortunate places like us in Parkview and a lot of these Gwinnett County schools. You know, we have rich traditions, and kids kids at these schools want to be a part of something that's been successful and has a chance to be really great, and they want to be attached to that. But it's a little bit different in some of the schools that maybe don't have those kind of things, so it, it, it's harder. But um, I guess lastly, you, you you definitely see more kids that do play. Um, there's a growing expectation that, you know, I guess, you know, 20 years ago kids played and, if they got a scholarship, man, that's awesome. But there wasn't the expectation. I think more now, kids sort of expect if they play, then you know they're going to get they're going to get money somehow, some way to go play at the next level. Um, and, um, and so that's that that's sort of it's sort of more. It used to be kind of a bonus. Oh, I'm going to play high school football. I'm going to love it, have a great experience. And if I if I'm able to go play the next level, that's that, that's cool. That's bonus. And now I think that's changed in that. Um, kids sort of come in expecting that a little yeah. bit more and uh they want to um and uh and 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 it's hard to blame them because a lot of them are looking for the with the with the with the price of college now i mean they're looking for ways to ease that financial burden as yeah. well and um so these families are looking at, co- at at football as a way to ease their financial burdens for college um and so the way they approach that is a little bit like <clears throat> You know, there you get a lot of, you know, you get a lot of kids that, um, you know, they're gonna, you get. There's a lot of kids these days that that look for opportunities to to play and to thrive in the in the best place they think they can find uh, or earn a college scholarship, and that's kind of and for for some kids that's their kind of top priority. So you see you see more of that these days than you used to. Um, when you think about, uh, your quarterback and how you approach mm-hmm. teaching the modern quarterback, I've talked to Camden County's coach about this. I've talked to Corey Mobs and Lanier about this too. Um, when you're developing a quarterback, how much has that changed? Are you, are you thinking about how many reads this, this quarterback in particular is capable of making? Like how many dropbacks they're going to do per game? Like, are we always going to be in the shotgun? Are you even teaching quarterbacks to be under center anymore? Like, how, is, how has that changed for you? Well, 
think that <clears throat> there's always, I mean, as a high school coach, you kind of generally make the assumption that you've got to play to your quarterback strengths. You, we, we, yeah. we can't recruit our quarterback. So we, we've got the one that we got, yeah, unlike colleges that can go out and recruit the guy that fits the skill set they're trying to accomplish. So the college coaches, I mean, high school coaches tend to be more versatile uh, in what they're looking for, or at least with us, I mean, we've, you, you've got a, um, you've got a, you've got a way to tailor your offense to your quarterback strengths. And so if you've got a, um, well, what about Dylan? And there's I guess Dylan is a good example here of like, no, what, Dylan what is a good example. Well, <laughs> well, Dylan does that. I mean, he does everything well. So it's, so, you know, we're, we're able to, because Dylan is, um, does everything well because he can make all the throws because Dylan is, um, very conscientious. He's going to work extremely hard at it mentally and physically um, because he can handle a lot on his plate, you know, mentally. Mm-hmm. We we have the kind of offense where we can feel like we can we can we can be bold, we can be risky, we can throw the ball, we can really push the ball down the field. You know, we really trust Dylan to to do just about anything we want to do in the passing game. So so we can design an offense that 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 fits that skill set. How would you I mean, describe your scheme? No. What what personnel are y'all in the most? Well, um, either ten or eleven. Okay. You know, we've got a, this past year our base pro, our base personnel group was what we would call eleven personnel. Mm-hmm. But our but the kid we were calling our tight end uh, who went in there with the first group. We had some we had a few talented tight ends, but mm-hmm. the ones that was that were going with the first group and was actually all county and all region was Stone Bonner, and Stone is six five and about two hundred twenty pounds. Um, same and he can, he's very and he's very versatile so he can he can flex out and you know he can flex out and be uh be a threat a receiver for us he's got incredible hands and um and um, and good speed and runs all the route you know runs all the routes well or we can attach him or sniffer him and you know making making the blocker as well so and that's kind um, of how the tight end position has evolved, right? Like you can't really just be a tight end who yeah. blocks now. You gotta you gotta be able to split out wide with if necessary. You've got to be a matchup nightmare for opposing linebackers right. or safeties who come up and that they have to respect them and it's just like, Oh, what do I do with this Kyle Pitts like dude? I, I don't know what to do with that's this. That's right. That's right. Well, if you've got that guy, it, they're hard to find. But if you have that guy, you're fortunate because that puts a lot of pressure on the defense. Because they 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 see the same guy in there, but they're not able to cater their calls on defense mm-hmm. or their tendencies on defense to what to what that guy's going to be able to do. Because if you've got that guy in there, if it's a traditional in line blocking tight end, you're limiting yourself and what you can do offensively. But if you've yeah. got that guy and he can be in line and block, he can he can line up at sniffer and be like a fullback, or if he can split out and and uh, you know be a, be a threat in the passing game as well. Then you know you're that makes you really dangerous, and that 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 makes it really hard on the defense. So, um, so yeah, so that was our base personnel group. We would call it eleven, mm-hmm. but it was really kind of ten. It was really kind of ten or eleven because because Stone was the kind of kid that could do do so much for us. And we had other ones, Jack Jack Spike, who was also our backup quarterback. I mean, he 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 was very similar to Stone and could do all that stuff too. And so anyway, are you okay with me sending? Um... Zillow postings to Dylan for the Camp Creek area. The uh... <laughs> <laughs> try all you want. Uh-huh. Try all you want. Do it. Do it. Do whatever you need to do. All right. I think it's you legal know, for me to do all, that. I'm all pretty sure. fair. All fair in love and war. But mm-hmm. We're 
but he's he's pretty solid. So okay. yeah, he's he's he is but yeah, the point the point remains the same. He is uh he's a special he's a special one and you know, he through um through six games this year he was leading all classification mm-hmm. in uh in, in passing. And so and there's some pretty talented quarterbacks in Georgia. And then he got yeah the first quarter first quarter against Newton, he unfortunately um tweaked his ankle. Yeah. And uh that's the game so I watched from y'all was, this year. That was on my tape. Reel. Okay, that was the game I pulled. Okay, from the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, so he tweaked his ankle, and then we, um, and so he set out the rest of he set out the rest of that game. He actually missed the Grayson game following mm-hmm. that one as well, and he actually missed, um, he actually missed, uh, uh, I think three quarters of the part of the game as well, um, because he, he had a he had a mild concussion. So. Um, so he missed some time this year. So he really, what, what he did really added up to about eight games and change and, um, basically set every single season passing record we've ever, we've ever had at Brookwood in a, in a, in eight And games. he's only a so sophomore. He's a, and he's only a sophomore. So. Well, that's kind of scary. So, uh, Dylan, if you're looking for other real estate, uh, this <laughs> Rockridge, Rocky Hill, the better side of 78, uh, um, it, I would not rule it out. Um, Man, he's way too smart to think, <laughs> even think like that. <laughs> Actually, one of his good friends is the same age as the Parkview quarterback. Oh, okay. Uh, who's who's uh, who's also a really good young quarterback as well. Yeah, well, Cody Brown's so, coming up here, I believe. He's the four-star running back. He is. Yeah. So he is. He got a he he. You know, who knows how much how much uh, well what was in his McDonald's bag when he went. Well, there hold on, hold ago. on. That's a cheap shot. That is. Uh... <laughs> I, that is not necessary, Cody, Coach. Co- Cody's a great Cody's a great kid and would never do that. I'm just uh, I'm just unbelievable. I'm just a little fresh in the new, in the media. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, just a crazy story. Just just all kinds. It of is crazy. crazy. I love Southern football more than anything. Um, when you're <laughs> like one of the things I was taking like I I'm a note taker when I'm watching film and I'm just watching all these different games and I watched um Parby versus uh, Alpharetta I believe um we're uh, the current Harrison Bailey went and the rematch from last year. And I remember taking notes on this and I was like, and I wonder if you've noticed this too, when you're studying stuff, it's just, it seems like co- high school football. I mean, this is permeated across all, uh, I think all levels, but have you noticed this yeah. too, where just the matchup based assignments is just paramount. It's just like, okay, we have this guy. We can't do this. Well, we can't do that. Well, but I don't think they have someone on the outside who can defend him one on one. So we're going to take 17 chances on this particular player. Yeah. And he's going to win 10 of yeah. them. That just seems like right. something I just have where it's just they know what they can excel in, and that's what they're going to pinpoint over and over and over again. Is that just kind of how offensive evolved? It's just we're going to find the weakness yeah, and we're I just going to do it. Well, offense, right. Absolutely. I think offenses have, I mean, offensive is, offenses have spread out. I mean, as. As the game has progressed to where coaches really starting, I mean, I would say starting with Walsh and the West Coast offense, um, you know, he was really the first one to say you can run a passing offense and it can be a high percentage passing. Yep. Like you can you can have a high percentage passing game. Before that, you had the Woody Hayes of the world that would say only three, you know, three things can happen when you throw the ball and two of them are bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was kind of the philosophy and then you get you get a wall who's kind of an innovator and says you know you can you can throw the ball all the time and it can be a high percentage yep. um, you know offense where you where you're not it's not a risky offense anymore no. 
You're not risking it to throw the ball. You're, it's what you can do and count on it. And so as that has developed over the years and quarterbacks have gotten better um, and quarterback coaching has gotten better and receivers have gotten better and the and um, offensive systems have gotten better and being able to get guys open, um, and as that's progressed, offenses have spread out toward the sideline. And yes. as they spread out toward the sideline, it has become a space game. So, so, and as it's, as the, you know, as offenses have spread out and as it's become more of a space game, it's become like basketball in a sense. Yeah. That, um, I mean, basketball is trying to do the same thing on every possession. You're trying to find, you're trying to find the movement, the right kind of movement or the right kind of matchup and able to get the ball to the right guy to, to be able to do, to, to, to make a play. Yeah. And so. That's that's all football's doing right now. I mean, and so you hit on it. I mean, if you can um, either formationally or through motion or um, you know situationally, sometimes I mean, you can you can you're trying to get your best player on a guy that it might not. Yeah. You know, it's if they've got a if a defense makes a bad adjustment, you know, to where they're gonna, you know, to where you're, you know, let's say that if you motion your running back all the way out to the sideline. Mm-hmm. Pass like you you line up your ex receiver tight on the hash, and you you play a defense. It's always gonna you know it's gonna it's gonna move your their linebacker with your running back mm-hmm. wherever he goes if he motions out of the backfield. You know even if he runs out to the numbers, then what's an offense gonna do? Well, he's gonna line up. They're gonna line up a stud receiver at running back. Yeah, <laughs> and run him out of the sideline so that exactly so that linebacker who's used to packing the box and uh, more more of a tackler and a box you just take him out of the game because you take him out of the game exactly. So, um, so that's how. So you're 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 right on it. I mean, you're you know, folks are always looking for matchups, but that that's happened as football has become more of a space game. When you look at this season, um, and we'll we'll get ready to wrap up in a second. Um, what if, uh, what was your favorite moment from this year? What uh, what will you look back on? I'm um, just looking to build off into 2021. What did uh, what what did you enjoy most? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, you know, quite quite honestly, I mean, I, I think that I always. I always love to see our players fight, and mm-hmm. uh, I think I think that's one of the reasons you get into coaching is um, <clears throat> is that in a culture that's increasingly become comfortable and accustomed to things being easy, um, you're trying to train kids to um, you know get get used to adversity and how to hand, how, used to how to handle adversity because that's a life skill. That's something they're going to have to do for the rest of their lives. Um, so just how to, how to, how to be gritty, how to, how to handle adversity and keep pushing through it toward a goal. So, so we had a number of games this year where our kids, you know, we, we definitely had a, had a team that unfortunately we seem to have a, a trend of kind of falling behind early and then always fighting our way back. So I guess when I think about the year, I think about, you know, the handful of games where we fell behind and we just, we, they just battled their tail off and came back. I mean, we, really the opener was the Corky Kell game and, it ended up being four overtimes. Um, you know, we had a we had a fourth and fifteen, and one of the overtimes in Stone, who I alluded to earlier, you know, ran, ran a corner out to the end zone, and and we were able to find him on fourth and fifteen, and 
and then we're able to win the game on the next drive. So just to see um, our guys endure, our guys persist, our guys fight through adversity and find a way to, to win the game. We had a few others like that as well, but um, any time you see that exhibited, I think that's, that's, that's special and uh, something that can kind of hang their hat on and really shows their true character. I like it. I like it. Um, last thing, and we'll uh, we'll wrap up here. It's a, it's a two-parter. So when you look at uh, this season, is the schedule already out? Do you already know what uh, this fall looks like? We're working through it because last year the schedule got jacked up in a lot of ways yeah. because you know, we had some cancellations and some delays. And so we're kind of working through who's kind of expecting all that to stay for this year and who's going to go back to the original schedule as they had planned, uh, you know, as of a year ago and, so we're, we're working through all that, yeah. Okay. Well, Corey Mobs of uh, Lanier and um, Coach Bill Spire down there in Camden have offered me uh, sideline stuff whenever I'm back in uh, Georgia. Is that same invitation okay. <laughs> uh, available? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. As long as you wear a, as long as you wear a triple X. Okay. I've got all the triple X. I've got all the triple X stuff you want. Well, no, seriously, would you be, would you be caught dead in Brooklyn here? I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I so mean, you're it's funny you guy. ask. It's funny you ask. It's funny you ask. No to that. However, however, I am building in the Chase Moms Podcast Studios up here in Knoxville. Um, I love helmets. Love. I'm looking at all my okay. NFL helmets over here. I'm putting in requests for other county helmets. Now, will I wear okay. one? I mean, will I wear Brookwood garb? No. <laughs> will I put a Brookwood helmet on my wall along with the rest of the Gwinnett County helmets? Absolutely. So if that is something that wow. you're looking to do, then yes, I will gladly okay. put that right. on video and have Brookwood in my office. I will do that. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty strong. I would not put a part of your helmet on my office and my wall. We'll see. Uh, it just, can't just, just be Brookwood out there. Could, could if, if it's a collection, I just love helmet. I love sports memorabilia. So I will put that on. I won't okay. rock it. I will not rock it, but I will right. have it in the office. You, you might have to hold your nose while you put it up, and it might be in the corner where all the dust is and the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the, 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 the rotted wood and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but, but you'll still put it up there. I'll see how it goes. Oh, we'll see. Maybe I'll have to give you the helmet that's, uh, that, you know, we tried to send a reconditioning three times, and it's the reject. And, Perfect. You know, yeah, so it's the, not getting the, used the, anyway. The, I'm not using it for, the, uh, the bad, for any collisions. The, right, the bad paint job and the cracks all down the middle. You know, we'll... We'll, uh, we'll 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 have to see what we got. All <laughs> right, I am serious we'll, about we'll, it. We'll, we'll we'll okay. I, I hear you. I'm too. We'll 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 make it work for you. All no right, doubt. Man. Well, good no luck doubt. this season. I appreciate you making the time today. This has been a lot of fun, man. I uh, as much as it pains me to admit, Absolutely. I enjoyed talking with the Brookwood football coach. At, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to probably quote that and put it on my headline on Twitter just so everybody knows what you said. All right, sure there you go. <laughs> Always looking to help the recruiting. In, uh, in there Twitter. you go. Got it. We have we have a turncoat in the Parkview community. I would never. I'm just Lil Burnstone Mountain forever. <laughs> Rockbridge, Rocky Hill forever. Um, Parkview forever. So, no, uh, we'll not do it. That's funny. Uh, but anyway. That's good stuff. Good, thank good you. stuff, man. I, I appreciate it. All right, we're back on the Chase Ons podcast, and I am now joined by Kendall Cout. Cout, Cout. I, I I knew I was going to do that based on like us just talking about it before we started recording of our Daily Bears, a great Baylor Bears blog that you should go check out if you are not already. Kendall, good evening, sir. How are you? Uh, doing well, Chase. I appreciate you having me on. 
thanks for being here. Um, I'm sure you're jumping at the bit to uh, talk some Baylor because your team uh, is very good. My team is also very good, but uh, the offense is very stagnant. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Tennessee got blown out on the road at Florida this week, and the offense is a it's a problem. But your team going two and zero against Texas Tech and Kansas. Um, we'll get to that in a second, but. In your estimation, what makes Baylor so good this season, Kendall? Sure. Uh, great question there, Chase. And I did not get to see that Tennessee game, but sorry about what happened against Florida. It pertains to your question directly, though. I think Baylor's real strength is that veteran leadership. The motto adopted is get old and stay old, which is a motto by a lot of people, but Baylor's kind of practiced that well. Jared Butler came back for his junior season. I've had a chance to do a deep dives on him, interview him at a few times, and him is a fifth-year senior, deciding to come back. Mark Vidal's a fifth-year senior. Davion Mitchell is now uh, four years removed from high school. Getting all those guys back who were very good players, all uh, from Butler, Vidal, and Mitchell, top 100 recruits coming out of high school, and then Teague is a very good grad transfer. But I think the strength of the team is really those four guys, as older guys, ready to play right now. How, when you look at what Gonzaga is, the best team in the country, undefeated, what, um, what may, if you were to get in a national championship game against Gonzaga, how do you think you match up? I think it'd be a very good game. If you were to make the argument for Gonzaga, I think the simple argument is that Drew Timmy is a real problem for the Bears. Baylor has not played a big man that is both so explosive off the dribble and then can step out and shoot that well. I think the argument for Baylor would be Maybe Jalen Suggs has taken a slight step back from his early play in the season. The Bears would be a little bit more aggressive than any defense that played Gonzaga earlier in the campaign. If you do that, you have a shot. I think the question for the Gonzaga is that Kansas defensively didn't play them quite like you might, and Virginia played them in a very weird way defensively. So if Baylor's no-middle defense is a little bit different than what Gonzaga has faced, maybe that's enough. But I think, Chase, it truly is a coin flip game. What uh? What do you mean by Virginia playing y'all differently? What what happened there? Sure. So the Virginia game, Virginia gave them a lot of space both to pass and to drive. And in their pick and roll coverage, they would often abandon Corey Kispert in the corner and they would tag the roller on screens. And so if Corey Kispert is open, you give Gonzaga a chance to really explode offensively. I do not think Baylor would leave Corey Kispert in the corner. And I think they would try and turn Gonzaga over a lot more than Virginia was able to. Interesting. And what did uh, what did you see from the Kansas game? What what were they doing in that game? Sure. So Kansas played a lot of different pick and roll coverages. Kansas also was a little confused on defense. There were a lot of uh, situations where Marcus Garrett would point, and I think he relied upon the idea that he had played with Hidoka Azubuki and Devon Dotson for a little bit. And although he played with Ochai Baji and Christian Brown in the past, some of the other guys in KU's lineup where KU went deep that day, he didn't have that same experience. So. I think that's a little bit different. I think Baylor would be a little more pristine in their coverages. Baylor still has some questions about how accurately do they have all of their defensive assignments, but I think they'd be a little bit better in terms of maintaining that integrity than Kansas and Virginia did. Interesting, interesting. Um, in the last two wins, big wins, Texas Tech taking down the mighty Mac McClung um, and also taking down Kansas. What was different about those two games, and were you surprised that Baylor was able to sweep those two teams in back-to-back games? Uh, I was not surprised to kind of 
boost my own ego a little bit here. Mm. I predicted the exact score of the Baylor-Texas Tech game. I said that'd be 68-60. Oh, wow. It was. And then I was only off by one point. And the uh, Kansas game, I said Baylor would win 78-69. I think they won 77-69. The difference between the two, though, Chase, was that Texas Tech game, Baylor's offense was not great. They missed some pretty good open threes. But Texas Tech runs the same defense Baylor does, a no-middle defense which is designed to ensure you keep the ball on just one side of the floor. Baylor would kind of over-dribble into the corner, thinking they could then get Texas Tech stuck, pass to either side, get open shots. But unfortunately, Baylor ended up getting themselves stuck in the corner, kind of the old DJ Khaled, you played yourself, um, gift mm. ended up happening to Baylor in those spots. Kansas game was the opposite. Baylor made a lot of shots. Jared Butler exploded offensively. KU didn't really have an answer for Jared Butler. And although KU shot extremely well from three, Baylor kind of played their best offensively. And Baylor's A game is just better than Kansas's A game this season. Who has been the MVP thus far for the Baylor Bears this season? Sure, I think it's definitely Jared Butler. On Ken Palm's metrics, uh, Jared Butler is now second nationally in the player of the year rankings. I think the NBA draft for tomorrow, Jared Butler would have a really good shot at being a first-round draft pick. But at the same time, Davion Mitchell has been really good, improving offensively to become a dominant three-point shooter after struggling last season and at Auburn. And then Maceo Teague uh, has been a revelation nationally, but he was a really good player last season too. Interesting. Um, do you think Jerry Butler has a chance at winning National Player of the Year? I think it's unlikely. I think maybe the most likely way that would happen is if Iowa drops a few games, but Luka Garza had the hype coming in, and he's such a dominant offensive player. that I think the very legitimate critique you could make that Luca Garza is not quite as good defensively, doesn't have as much sway with the voters for just how dominant his offensive be. So I would be quite shocked if Luca Garza is not the player of the year. Although by the end of the season, if Baylor is, say, a one-loss team, I think he would have a chance then. But I think Baylor either has to have no losses, which is extremely unlikely in the Big 12 grind, or one loss for him to usurp Luca Garza in that ranking. Your favorite storyline that you've been monitoring this season in Waco? Uh, that's a really good question. I guess for me, the storyline would be whether Baylor can find a way to get either Jonathan Chamwa Chatua uh, to be a dominant force to stay in the lineup or whether Baylor can play small at the end of games and keep that lineup going throughout the season. I think one of those two things needs to happen for the national title. I think the second is probably more likely than the first, but I think those are kind of the two things I look for. Can they get one of those lineups to really emerge dominantly? I think the lineup with Mark Vidal at the five, what I've dubbed the five with Vital at the five, shout out to Vital Goes West, that American hero. I think that's kind of what you look for. Can they play that lineup consistently and dominantly? I think they can, but if they can't, that maybe is what holds Baylor up from winning a national title or a Final Four. What are your tournament expectations? It's going to be a weird tournament. Um, what do you What do you think is uh, What do you think was the like? The, I guess the best way to frame this is what should baylor fans expectations be for this team at this point and like what is the best case scenario and what is like well this we need to at least get here for us to say this was an acceptable end to the season right that's a kind of great question and it's difficult because anybody could frame this differently but it is the million dollar question i think since baylor won a big 12 conference and has made the final four since uh here in the white house and before hostilities broke out in the Korean Peninsula. Baylor needs to either win the Big 12 this year or make a Final Four. And those are very lofty expectations. I think the Big 12 title is much more realistic. 
I think Baylor is certainly one of the two best teams in the country. But the issue is just the Final Four is such a strange beast, knowing you have to win against a good team in the round of 32, quite a good team in the Sweet 16, and then a really good team in the Elite Eight. It's tough to say, hey, if you don't make the Final Four, is it a failure of a season? But I think everyone on that team will look back and say, if they don't make the Final Four, that it is. That's unfair, because it could be an Elite Eight game. I think the classic example for me will always be the 2011 Kansas Jayhawks losing to that 2011 VCU team. There is no doubt, I think, in anyone's mind who watched the game or watched KU play basketball that season, they would think if they played 10 times, VCU would win more than one. But VCU that day caught KU when they shot like 2 of 26 from 3. I think it would take a great shooting differential for Baylor to lose before the Elite Eight. But I think ultimately, if Baylor does not make a Final Four, I think the staff and I think the players will look back on this season and have a hard time saying it was a success, despite how ridiculous it is to say, I think the Final Four is the expectation. And if they don't meet that, I think they'll look back and be sad at at how the season ended. All right, put on your clairvoyant hat. What do you think ultimately happens for Scott Drew's team this this spring? Sure. Obviously, uh, difficult to predict, but I think Baylor and Gonzaga are going to meet for the title. The season to me, Chase, really feels like that 2005 season where it was apparent that North Carolina and Illinois were just better than everybody. I think everybody on ESPN, when they did their bracket show and their bracketology predictions after that, predicted those two would play for the national title. They did. I think Baylor and Gonzaga will play for the title. The only other season in recent memory to me that feels comparable to this season is the 2018 year where Virginia and Villanova were the two best teams. Villanova won the title that season. Virginia had that 116 upset. So maybe Gonzaga has a shocking 116 upset. I'm going to rule that out for the Bears. My guess is Baylor plays Gonzaga for the title. Gun to my head, I'm taking Baylor because ultimately, if I'm going to be wrong with a gun to my head, I'm going to pick the Bears. But that's really going to be an interesting matchup. But for me, I would say right now that Baylor and Gonzaga are the two title favorites. I'm going to take Baylor right now. But I'm not feeling good either way because I think that matchup could go either way for a variety of reasons. Interesting. Interesting. What can we check out from you this week at ourdailybears.com? Sure. So uh, I'll be in Stillwater uh, on Saturday for Baylor, Oklahoma State. And I'll have mm. a game column up after that one. And then I'll probably have a profile coming up pretty quickly on Adam Flagler. And then eventually this season, I'll do another profile on Jared Butler and how his athleticism has gotten better. And well, that's positioning him to potentially be a first-round draft pick. Okay, there you go. Go check it out. Keep up the great work, sir. Um, I will look. I, I, you know what I'll do? You know what I'll do for you? You're a nice guy. I'm going to say that I would like to see Baylor do well if you do not find your way into a matchup with the Tennessee Volunteers in the tournament. That That's when my uh, good feelings will end on uh, the Baylor the Baylor season. I think that's very fair, Chase, and certainly I like Rick Barnes a lot, and I mm. hope he does well at Tennessee, especially because it's always a fun troll for Texas fans who wanted him gone for so long that he's now got Tennessee in a better place than Texas almost every season. It, uh, yeah, just I just want some competent offensive play. Like our defense is legit, but uh, the offense, man, a stagnant college basketball offense is one of the more frustrating things um, to go through on a weekly basis. It, uh, it's painful right now. That's very fair. It, it is not fun to watch a bad offense. I've watched bad offenses in the past. Luckily, not this season. But yeah, that is that's not a fun time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I've taken too much of your time tonight, Kendall, but I appreciate you making the time, sir. This has been a lot of fun. I appreciate it. So uh, go check out Kendall's great work and you stay safe out there and uh, enjoy Stillwater. All right. Thank you, Chase. You have a good one, too.
Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.